that the choir has led us into those songs, and we'll be singing those carols as we gather for Christmas Eve. It is great to be with you today. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, indeed, by your Holy Spirit, call us to worship your Son, our Savior, Jesus, the light who shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. Open our hearts to light, to Jesus, to live in the light, now and forever. In his name we pray. Amen. Today's sermon is the light defeats darkness. Isn't that good news? That's pretty much the message. The light defeats darkness. We're going to be turning today to begin with to Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 5. And when we stop reading that passage today, some of you who know the scripture really well are going to be saying, but Pastor Martin, you're supposed to read on to chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We will arrive at that passage specifically Christmas Eve with our Christmas Eve meditation. It's a boy. So we'll celebrate uh, Isaiah 9, 6 a little bit on Christmas Eve and then dig into what those verses mean as well on the first Sunday of Christmas season on December 26th. Today, Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 is our central scripture. We'll also be turning uh, to passages from John's gospel and from Matthew. But let's begin with Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 5. Hear now God's word. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations of the Goyim, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the oppressed burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then over to John's gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 1, picking up at verse 4, talking about the Word who was with God and was God in the beginning. In Him, in the Word, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. The light defeats darkness. There is a running theme through the book of Isaiah, through the prophecies of Isaiah, about light and about the coming light and about how we are going to be all God's people who turn to him are going to be saved through the light. I will give you three examples the middle one, the second one being from what we just read in Isaiah 9 to listen to this string of message from the prophet Isaiah by the word of God. At the close of the introductory cycle to the book of Isaiah, which pretty much lays out the message of judgment and leading all the way to salvation and God's glory in the new Zion. At the end of that first introductory cycle, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 5, listen to this, Isaiah 2, 5. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. There's a call to salvation. After uh, prophesying about Zion being ultimately glorified, even though it's going to be fallen under judgment, God will raise up the new Jerusalem, the new Zion, and the people, everyone, you and I, and certainly God's chosen people from Israel are called to walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we just read it. The people who walked in darkness, are you getting this? Walking, or in other words, living, living your life either in darkness or light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of the shadow of death. That's literally what the language is there in the Hebrew, the shadow of death. Those who dwelt in a land of the shadow of death, a light has shined on them. Isaiah 9 2. And then finally, all the way over to kind of one of the key passages in the closing segment of the book of Isaiah, looking to all the way towards the new Jerusalem and the new creation. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only come from the father full of grace and truth. John 1:14. Arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness, the peoples, but the Lord, in other words, the Lord himself will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. That's Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 and 2. We have this ongoing theme in Isaiah and certainly throughout the rest of the Bible, but definitely we're supposed to receive this message from the prophecies of Isaiah about the issue of light versus darkness. And I want to go over with you, and I have them in the notes because I'm going to be covering ground pretty quickly, a lot of extensive notes here, but you need them, and we need them to live our lives and to make decisions according to the light. These are essential biblical truths, instruction, and wisdom about light and darkness. Number one, God is light. As 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. But... Part of how he's able to do that is, like Psalm 139, verse 12 says, even the darkness is not dark for you, right? And we've already learned this from Isaiah chapter 45. 
God says that he creates good times and bad times, blessings and calamity. God says that he creates light and darkness. But you see, he transforms darkness and moves through darkness to bring light. That's the message. So God is light. Number two, and I think you know this already, Jesus is the light of the world. That's what our scripture is pointing us towards. Jesus is the light of the world. It's prophesied in the Old Testament and very specifically in the book of Isaiah. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Do you hear this walking in darkness versus walk living in darkness? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, will have me in him. When you believe in Jesus, he, the light of the world, is in you. All born-again believers are called out of darkness into the light. Now, the, the challenge we have is most people in the world today live in darkness. But Jesus calls all people, and this is what the scripture is saying, all born-again believers are children of the light, Philippians chapter 2. We walk in the light, Ephesians and elsewhere in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And as the church together, we reflect his light so that we become, as he says, you are the light of the world, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 in the Sermon on the Mount. All that glitters is not light. You know that old saying? All that glitters is not gold. Well, all that glitters is not light. Created things like the sun, other stars, they're not actually the light. They're just supposed to point us toward the real light, Jesus. Um, Satan is not light. But the scripture tells us, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 11, he disguises himself as an angel of light. I had in the notes there, stars or not, and it, it occurred to me when I was writing that down for you in the notes. Now, I'm not ta talking only about uh, astronomical stars. I'm also talking about actually the Hollywood stars. They are not the light. <laughs> They're the, not the ones you're going to get the answer to, although most of our culture says, oh, somebody from Hollywood said something. I guess I have to do this new discipline because this, uh, this famous actress or actor is doing it. No, no, no. They're not the light. Artificial lights are not the light. I have folks who drive all over the town looking for artificial lights, and I love, the, I love the light displays, but that is not the light. That's not gonna save you. You can drive your kids to see every single light display. If you're not bringing them to the Lord and to worship him, you're lost, right? You're in the darkness. And then finally, hell's fire is not light. We have this interesting thing in the Bible that hell is described as, as eternally burning fire, but it's also described as Jesus calls it the outer darkness. And, and the book of Jude talks about how it's burning, but it's dark. Hell's fire is not light. Um, we need to make a choice because here's the thing, number four, Everyone is in either light or darkness. This is the reality. Every single person on the earth right now, you are, we are either living in light or darkness. There's really no in-between according to the Bible. Where are you? Where are your loved ones? Light or darkness? 
Jesus tells us, and the Gospel of John tells us, this is the issue about his coming. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's John 3, 16, 17. Let's keep reading. 18 and following. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. You want to know the way the judgment works? This is it, John 3, 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You're either in the light or you're in darkness. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not want to come to the light lest his works should be exposed, in other words, by Jesus. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Come to the light. Wherever you are tempted towards or living in darkness, get out of it. Come to the light. But darkness is kind of attractive and very deceptive and seductive. I know it is. Come out of it. Oh, Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord, Isaiah 2, 5. Um, as, here's the good news for all of us who are in Christ as the church, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, what? Out of darkness. You hear that? Called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Where are you? Come out of the darkness now. Come to Christ, the light, the light. Um, fifth, here's the basic biblical wisdom. You have to understand this. We have to understand this. Fighting darkness with darkness just brings more darkness. Let me repeat that. This is pretty obvious, but we miss this a lot of times. If you use the methods of the enemy against the enemy, it's just going to breed exponential darkness. Jesus tells Simon Peter to put the sword away. <laughs> this is not a fleshly power struggle we're talking about. This is a spiritual warfare issue, and we exercise our warfare through grace and peace and truth in the light. So God does not use the methods of Satan to defeat Satan. Do you hear what I'm saying? The light defeats the darkness. Sermon title, the light. And, and so we are supposed to follow that. As children of the light, we, and the Bible is profuse with these commandments, we do not return evil for evil. But everybody else does it, and they made me really mad. I understand that. <laughs> turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord by his spirit and by his word. His word is repeatedly going to tell you. Jesus says, somebody strikes you on the cheek, so you better slug them back and tell you you're a Christian. Is that what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount? No. Turn the other cheek. But this person is evil and hates me and is my enemy. Jesus says, great, pray for him. Pray for him and reach out in God's grace to him. 
See, see, the darkness does not defeat. This the light. This is the basic gospel here. Gospel life lived out. That's the Sermon on the Mount, Romans 12, 17. Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. But that one's really made me mad. Repay no one evil for evil. So now, uh, let's go back to where we're dealing with here. The kind of darkness we're talking about in Isaiah uh, particularly chapters 1 through 12, and you're right in the middle of it. Uh, there's a whole lot of darkness and sin of people and the consequences after generations and everybody from the leaders to just the common people being unfaithful to God. And God is going to bring down judgment. He's, br he's brought down initial warnings and chastisement and judgment. And then what we're being told in Isaiah chapters 1 through 12 is, man, this is going to be serious judgment. You're losing the promised land. A lot of you are going to be totally displaced. But you know what God's final word, Christian, we need to hear this in our lives too, is not judgment unto condemnation. God always wants to save those who will turn to him. And so we have this message of redemption and grace. So I got to tell you, at least about a super majority of the, of the verses in Isaiah 1 through 12 are about judgment and consequences of sin and darkness. But there's a huge, hugely important sliver of grace and good news in there. And we get the three great passages that we remember around Advent and Christmas time from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 11. We just preached on Isaiah 11 and the, the root and the shoot and the fruit of the stump of Jesse. Isaiah 11, the Christmas tree message. Uh, we've also talked about the virgin giving birth to a son and calling his name Emmanuel. And now here in the middle, we're at Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, let me remind you the way, uh, just uh, indicative of this whole segment of Scripture. The very last verse before we get this good news about light coming, the closing verse of Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, listen to it. These are people who are in rebellion against God, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust back into thick darkness. There's a message here in this segment of Isaiah that people who keep looking to the earth are going to be sorely disappointed. You look to politicians, you look to things of the earth, you're going to be sorely disappointed, but those who look up to God will be saved. Okay. But there's darkness. There's serious darkness that we're dealing with. And then Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. This is one of the great uh, post-Tenebras Luke's passages of the Bible. You may know that the motto of the Reformed branch of the Protestant Reformation is post-Tenebras Luke's, which means after darkness light. That was the motto of Calvin's Geneva. They minted that on the coins, right? Um, after darkness, light, and here we turn the page from all that darkness I just read you about, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, that's big language in Isaiah. Remember, former time means what, what, what you're dealing with during Isaiah's time and up to Isaiah's time. The latter time means when the Messiah comes, okay? In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, 
the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, of the nations. So here's the message. Jesus, as we're going to hear on Christmas Eve and next Sunday, is the light who comes. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the sun, the great light, reverses the darkness. He defeats the darkness and he reverses it. In the midst of gloom, he brings glory. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> In the, anybody got a gloom? It's kind of a gloomy day outside today. In the midst of gloom, he brings glory. In the face of death, he brings life. He redeems Israel and saves. He redeems the remnant of Israel and he saves everyone among the Gentiles even who will turn to him. So here's some key gospel messages of Jesus's campaign beginning in Zebulun and Naphtali, Galilee of the Gentiles. Uh, he reverses the curse, really, and reverses the darkness, replacing shame with sanctification, replacing judgment with salvation and glory. It's amazing, it's amazing. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, on them the light has shone. This is the mission of the light. And we have to understand this. The New Testament is very insistent that we understand this, that Isaiah, who's prophesying this, you have to understand this, probably shortly after the first part of the northern kingdom of Israel falls to Assyria. And what were the first parts of the kingdom to fall to Assyria? Zebulun and Naphtali at that key crossroads around the Sea of Galilee heading into the Esdralon Valley. Okay, that's, that's the major thoroughfare of the ancient world. First part that falls to Assyria. And what Isaiah is saying 750 years before Jesus begins his ministry is that's where the Messiah is going to begin to show the light. Exactly in the first territory that the dark empire took. He's going to reclaim it back. And you open up, you open up the New Testament, and you turn to Matthew chapter 4, and lo and behold, here's what you read. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Now when he, that's Jesus, heard that John, that's John the Baptist, had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, by the sea. Why is he in Capernaum? Because it's directly by that old international highway called the Via Maris, the way of the sea, that bumps up along the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. Why are there so many tax collectors in Capernaum, even though it's not that big a city? Why, when Levi or Matthew's converted, he has a whole party of tax collectors? Because this is where all the commerce comes through. It's the junction with the Gentile world. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Wait a minute, I've heard about those territories. Yes, exactly, in 2 Kings and yes, in Isaiah chapter 9. God prophesied it 750 years before it happens so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The intersection of Israel with the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
You have to catch that from Jesus. In other words, the latter times have started with Jesus and his mission and ministry in Galilee. We're no longer in the former times. We're in what Isaiah is talking about, the latter times. Not repent, the kingdom is coming. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. I'm here. The light is beginning to shine. That's exactly what Jesus is saying there in Matthew, as Matthew records it in chapter 4. This is incredible news for us as all of us who will turn to the Lord. The Lord reclaims land and homes that belong to him, that he calls unto himself. The Lord will not let Zebulun and Naphtali go. The Lord will not let Upper Galilee go. And he will not let your home go. Even if your home has gone astray into the darkness, if he calls you to himself, he will reclaim what is his by his light. You understand this message, right? By his light. And for us, for all of us, this is not only an incredible message for the redemption of Israel and the remnant of Israel that Isaiah has been talking about and for the Gentiles, but also especially for those of us who are not Judean. I mean, you understand this. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, but he bases his ministry out of the land of Zaph, Zebulun and Naphtali. Isn't that awesome? At the intersection with the Gentiles, right by the Decapolis. It's incredible good news. And it was prophesied 750 years before it happens. And then listen to this for all of us. We all face that ultimate darkness called death, right? Those who dwelt in a land of the shadow of death. That's the way it should be translated. Saul Maveth. It's, it's two Hebrew nouns in a compound. Saul Maveth. Okay? And it's the same word that's used in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the what? Shadow of death. This is the same word here. In the land of the shadow of death, Jesus shines. May you believe that and know that. When you die, you will see the light. If you call on the name of Jesus. And then key gospel gifts and kingdom power. Uh, Jesus, the light gives us number one, joy and new life growth in the family of faith. We've already kind of been talking about this. Isn't this awesome? He multiplies his nation, not just Jews now, Gentiles also, and our joy. That's Isaiah chapter nine, verse three. Isaiah chapter nine, verse four goes, take us to freedom, joy and freedom from oppression, salvation from past sin. God can turn around anything that has happened in your life. Israel totally blew it, but Jesus can start his ministry right where the Assyrians first took. Isn't that awesome? He can turn around your life. Anything, everything can be reclaimed by the grace of God. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. You're supposed to immediately think if you're biblically literate, Judges 6, 6 through 8 and the story of Gideon. And how does Gideon defeat the Midianites and the Amalekites, those massive armies? Does he take a big army to do it? No, remember, God makes him do it with 300. Wow. Could God possibly even be prophesying that Jesus up in the Galilee region is going to start with a ragtag, really little small group and change the world through them? Yeah, exactly. As in the days of Midian. Just like Gideon defeated the massive armies with 300 so also here. It's amazing what God is prophesying here. Gideon and his small army. Uh, now, thirdly, uh, Jesus, through his light, brings us victorious peace. 
Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5, For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. God will cease all war. But again, you have to understand this. This peace is not this little kind of light little thing that we sing about in songs sometimes. Uh, spoiler alert, if you, if you don't know chapter 9, verse 6, you may want to like close your ears for a moment. Uh, there's, there's two fours that we just read through. The third four, how this is going to happen, the key of how this is going to happen, is because for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and he will be called, and there's four titles. And two of them I want to highlight for you right now. El Gibor, mighty God, that is a warrior term. That is a strong warrior term. Gibor, God, the mighty warrior. And Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. For the Jews and for the Hebrews, peace means peace through victory. It's not, can't we all just get along and kind of compromise on something? And we've already been signaled that in this passage. When Gideon has people who will not fight with him against the enemy, you know what he does? He says, I'm coming back to you in peace. Listen to this. When the men and the people of Penuel wouldn't support him, he says this, Gideon says this. This is Judges chapter 8, verse 9. When I come again in peace, Bashalom, okay? He's coming in peace. It's all just going to be a rose petal celebration. No, that's not what he says. When I come again in peace, in Shalom, I will break down this tower. Because you were so worried about your tower, you weren't willing to fight for the Lord. And so I'm going to tear down your tower. That's what Gideon says in Judges chapter 8. Verse 9, peace, we're talking about peace of the God who brings war, but not the war of this world, the war of light on darkness. God will eradicate all sin and evil. That's the peace that we're talking about when we sing at Christmas time. And that's the prince to whom we look. And we'll talk about more on Christmas Eve and heading into the Christmas season. I ask you, I invite you, I call you in the name of God, not to live by the darkness, not to live by the sword of this world, but to live by the light and in the light in Jesus Christ and to come to him. The light defeats darkness. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, now and forever, amen.